0: You're listening to Rhodey Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. I am your host, Emily Goodman. I am the Community Outreach Coordinator for North Kingstown Free Library in beautiful North Kingstown, Rhode Island. And this week, our episode comes to you from a Shakespeare reading group out of Bristol, Rhode Island. To start, founding group member Ray Edler will give you an introduction to their group, and then, along with his co-founder Jim Manchester,
1: Wounded it is, but with the eyes of a lady.
0: Members
2: Joni Pratt, Oh, I know where you are. Nay, tis true. And Sarah Weed, Good shepherd, tell this youth what tis to love.
0: We'll set up and read for you a scene from Act 5 of As You Like It. After the reading, as is customary for their group, they will discuss amongst themselves their takeaways and commentary on the piece they have read. If you love Shakespeare and reading in the round, check our show notes after today's episode to contact Ray and his reading group to join or for tips on how you could start your own Shakespeare reading group in your local community.
3: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ray, and I'm with the Bristol Shakespeare Readers. We started this Shakespeare reading group. It's in its 6th year now so it was 2016 and uh, you know it's a very enjoyable once per week experience and when we started it we did so in the spirit of global Shakespeare reading groups that once existed in many more numbers than they are right now. It is an oral tradition and I think our spirit is that very much Uh, Shakespeare's written word is codified speech. Shakespeare is full of speeches and lines. And so each week we read, speak in community, and discuss on various stops what was the meaning of the passage that we just read. Every once in a while, someone will raise their hand, they'd be called upon to ask a different question, or to give an opinion on something. So we are very much kind of an open mic on on Shakespeare and what he has given to us over 400 years ago now. I would like to stress that we do not read Shakespeare in a vacuum. Uh, His material was written in Elizabethan England for that time, many people realize that Shakespeare is also known as the perennial contemporary, that what he wrote in Elizabethan England is as relevant today in 2021 as it was five years ago in 2015, as it was throughout the 20th, 19th, 18th, 17th, 16th century. It's just uh, amazing what he wrote because he knew the human condition so well. And I think that's what keeps us coming back. We don't want to miss anything from week to week, and very few people do miss sessions, although life takes us other places, and, uh, and that's fine too. So that, that's our in- basic introduction to who and what we are and what we've been doing.
1: Okay, Sarah, if you'll start us off with a brief summary of the play that uh, we're going to read today. Or at least a scene from that play, I'm sorry.
4: I'll be happy to. In the comedy we present today, As You Like It, Shakespeare works with the themes of deception, thwarted love, and the destinies of women. As the play begins, after Rosalind's father, the rightful duke, is banished from the court, she remains behind with her cousin Celia, the daughter of the reigning duke. Rosalind's father has escaped to the nearby forest of Arden, where he has set up his camp with a band of followers. At the court, Rosalind secretly falls in love with a visitor, Orlando. He foils a plot to kill him by winning a wrestling match with his potential killer. Orlando flees the court, and he too winds up in the forest of Arden. Pining for Rosalind, he charmingly leaves love notes pinned to trees all through the forest. Rosalind is soon banished from the court, and taking on the protection of the male role of Ganymede, she heads for the forest. Celia decides to go with her in the guise of the shepherdess Aliena. In the forest, Ganymede soon finds the love notes left by Orlando and convinces him to practice his wooing tactics on him. Orlando does not realize that he is actually wooing Rosalind, who is totally entranced by his technique. Meanwhile, the plot is further complicated by the fact that Phoebe, a local shepherdess, falls deeply in love with Ganymede, convinced that Rosalind is a man. On the other hand, Phoebe is avidly pursued by Silvius, a shepherd whose love she cruelly rejects. A third couple is set up when Celia meets Oliver, Orlando's brother, whom he recently saved from the attack of a lioness, Love at first sight overwhelms them and they decide to marry. On the day before that wedding and still posing as Ganymede, Rosalind assembles Phoebe, Silvius, and Orlando and she proceeds to arrange some surprising pairings.
1: Joni, if you will, can you give us some information on each of the four characters that we're gonna hear from today?
2: Yes, in act five, scene two, Rosalind is, independent-minded, good-hearted, and clever. She is in love with Orlando. Rosalind disguises herself as a male, Ganymede, so she can tutor Orlando on how to be an attentive lover. Orlando has no gentleman education as he has been raised by his neglectful brother. Orlando risks his life to save his friend from a lion, and Orlando's arm gets injured. Orlando is in love with Rosalind. Phoebe, a shepherdess, thinks a lot of herself. She falls in love with Ganymede, who is not a man, but a woman in disguise. Actually, Rosalind. Silvius is a shepherd who is head over heels in love with Phoebe.
1: By way of giving you some information about the actual scene that we're going to read, this is a synopsis of that scene, uh, Act 5, Scene 2. Rosalind, disguised as the handsome youth Ganymede, meets with Orlando, who is lovesick over Rosalind. Ganymede is supposedly trying to cure Orlando of his lovesickness, but Orlando tires of Ganymede's efforts. Ganymede tells Orlando that he can do magic by making Rosalind suddenly appear and that Orlando can marry Rosalind at the wedding of his brother, Oliver, and Celia the next day. The shepherdess, Silvius, and Phoebe enter. Phoebe has rejected Silvius because she loves Ganymede. Rosalind, Ganymede, promises Phoebe that if he marries any woman, it will be Phoebe. But if Phoebe finds that Ganymede will not marry any woman, Phoebe must marry Silvius. Phoebe agrees to this. And now act five, scene two, as you like it.
2: Oh, my dear Orlando, how it grieves me to see thee wear thy heart in a scarf.
1: It is my arm.
2: I thought thy heart had been wounded with the claws of a lion.
1: Wounded it is, but with the eyes of a lady.
2: Did your brother tell you how I counterfeited to swoon when he showed me your handkerchief?
1: Aye, and greater wonders than that.
2: Oh, I know where you are. Nay, tis true. There was never anything so sudden but the fight of two rams and Caesar's personical brag of I came, saw, and overcame. For your brother and my sister no sooner met, but they looked. No sooner looked, but they loved. No sooner loved, but they sighed. No sooner sighed, but they asked one another the reason. No sooner knew the reason, but they sought the remedy. And in these degrees have they made a pair of stairs to marriage, which they will climb incontinent, or else be incontinent before marriage. They are in the very wrath of love, and they will together. Clubs cannot part them.
1: They shall be married tomorrow, and I will bid the Duke to the nuptial. But oh, how bitter a thing it is to look into happiness through another man's eyes. By so much the more shall I tomorrow be at the height of heart heaviness. By how much I shall think my brother happy in having what he wishes for. Well, then tomorrow I cannot serve your turn for Rosalind. I can live no longer by thinking.
2: I will weary you no longer with idle talking. Know of me then. For now, I speak to some purpose, that I know you are a gentleman of good conceit. I speak not this that you should bear a good opinion of my knowledge, insomuch as I say I know you are. Neither do I labor for a greater esteem than may in some little measure draw belief from you to do yourself good and not to grace me. Believe then, if you please, that I can do strange things. <laughs> I have, since I was three-year-old, conversed with a magician, most profound in his art and yet not damnable. If you do love Rosalind so near the heart as your gesture cries it out, when your brother marries Aliena, shall you marry her? I know into what straits her fortune is driven, and it is not impossible to me if it appear not inconvenient to you, to set her before your eyes tomorrow, human as she is and without any danger.
1: Speaks thou in sober meaning?
2: By my life I do, which I tender dearly, though I say I am a magician. Therefore, put you in your best array. Bid your friends, for if you will be married tomorrow, you shall, and to Rosalind, if you will. Look, here comes Phoebe, a lover of mine, and, and Silvius, a lover of hers.
4: Ganymede, you have done me much ungentleness to show the
2: letter that I writ to you. I care not if I have. It is my study to seem despiteful and ungentle to you. You are there followed by a faithful shepherd. Look upon him. Love him. He worships you. Good shepherd,
3: tell this youth what tis to love. Oh, it is to be all made of sighs and tears, and so am I for Phoebe. And I for Ganymede.
1: And I for Rosalind.
3: And I for no woman. It is to be all made of faith and service, and so am I for Phoebe. And I for Ganymede. And I for Rosalind.
2: And I for no
3: woman. It is to be all made of fantasy, all made of passion, all made of wishes, all adoration, duty and observance, all humbleness, all patience, all impatience, all purity, all trial, all obedience. And so am I for Phoebe.
4: And so am I for Ganymede.
3: And so am I for Rosalind.
4: And so am I for no woman. Ganymede, if this be so, why blame you me to love you?
3: Phoebe, if this be so, why blame you me to love you? If this be so, why blame you me to love you? Who
2: do you speak to, why blame you me to love you?
1: To her that is not here, nor doth not hear.
2: Pray you, no more of this. Just like the howling of Irish wolves against the moon. Silvius, I will help you if I can. Phoebe, I would love you if I could. Tomorrow, meet me all together. Phoebe, I will marry you if ever I marry woman and I'll be married tomorrow. Orlando. I will satisfy you if ever I satisfy man and you shall be married tomorrow. Silvius, I will content you if what pleases you contents you and you shall be married tomorrow. Orlando, as you love Rosalind, meet. Silvius, as you love Phoebe, meet. And as I love no woman, I'll meet. So, fare you well. I've left you commands.
3: I'll not fail if I live. Nor I. Nor I. Exit. So, that, that's sort of a typical reading, uninterrupted. Every once in a while, if you know one of 12 people or more wish to ask a question or get a clarification, they raise their hand, they are called upon, and they ask their questions and other persons can chime in with anything they know or think or feel about that portion of the Shakespeare that is being read. And then every once in a while, someone uh, will offer some reading. And uh, I have a, a very brief, brief piece that I'd like to share on this and it appeared in the Shakespeare Quarterly back in 1988 and it's sort of a conglomeration of opinions such as you would read if you went to a play and you received the uh, description of the play, uh, comments of the director, uh, comments of you know, costuming, whatever. So while the entire play is full of terrific food for thought, three characters are shining examples of Shakespeare's subversive ideas. Imagine thinking of Shakespeare as a subversive. The court fool, Touchstone, delivers some of the most glaring social commentary in the play with his name, uh, which references an actual touchstone, which is an object that tells us whether or not something is real or fake, right? What is our touchstone in life that tells us the authenticity or inauthenticity of something? And that that is the role of touchstone, the clown. Since the days of the court jester, the clown has played the role of truth teller. Spreading subversive ideas gets a lot easier when you can shrug these ideas off as a silly joke. One of touchstone's most in during lines, the play, more pity that fools may not speak wisely what wise men do foolishly hearkens to this point exactly. And uh, just one more thing uh, before I open it up to questions, which we always do. It is no surprise that Rosalind, whose part you just heard, Uh, is one of the most enduring female characters of all time. Not just of Shakespeare, but of all time. With Rosalind, Shakespeare presents a world of possibility where women are in control of their futures, including who they marry and how they woo. The fantasy that Shakespeare presents here in As You Like It could not be more different from the reality in Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabethan England. But yet, Shakespeare, uh, in putting forth and challenging the ideas of his time and for all time since, needs somehow to protect himself from threats, from being shut down, from being oppressed by the powers that be, Elizabeth. And he does so, if you notice at the end of the play the original Duke who represents a monarchy is restored and the restoration of that monarchy puts him in good political stead in uh, Elizabethan England. Shakespeare challenged the status quo and yet was very smart about protecting himself and theater at that time. I'll open this up to questions, any thoughts regarding those notions?
4: Uh, Well, we often talk about um, how Shakespeare talks about the variety of human experience. And I think in this situation, we've got women who are in different marrying arrangements because um, Phoebe doesn't really want to get married to Sylvia. So it's almost like an arranged kind of a thing. Rosalind is kind of leading Orlando on in that she structures everything so that they will get married in the end, and yet she deceives him for a long time. And then Celia is marries on the basis of love at first sight. So it really does give us an idea of all the different ways that things can happen. I'm not really sure about arranged marriages in those days, but that was really the social norm but but he always does seem to include what's supposed to happen but then also includes what could happen
1: i think in in many of of the the comedies shakespeare deals with something that's quite relevant today and that's gender politics if you will uh, considerations of gender and in in many of his comedies he uses A typical device of his, which is the confusion of gender identity, where most often it's the woman who becomes, who feigns being a man. And that creates the confusion that provides us with a good deal of the humor through the course of of the play. I think that's one of the things that, that draws me to a Shakespearean comedy, at least.
2: Yes, and Rosalind, as a man, disguised as a man, is doing things that, had she just been Rosalind, would never be able to do. She wouldn't be able to tell them to do this, to do that, or anything. Women didn't have a say in those days. That's right. She
1: she becomes more powerful.
2: Right. She disguises herself and, and is totally different.
1: So there's, there's the political power struggle between the Dukes, Duke Senior, and, and Duke, his brother, Duke Frederick. Also, initially in the play, the power struggle between Orlando and um, Oliver, but also the power struggle between men and women that, you know, it, 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 since time immemorial. Right. So it's an interesting I, to see I, how he plays that. And
4: in The Merchant of Venice, they probably would never have listened to Portia if she presented herself mm-hmm. as a woman. I mean, she wouldn't probably even have the role of, of lawyer, you know, that she wouldn't even be in that arena. So that's really interesting that it does show up in other plays, too. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about this scene is the language structure that he uses that whole um, interchange about an I for Ganymede, an I for, for Phoebe, an I for uh, mm-hmm. Rosalind, you know, that. They're all kind of chiming in and, and, you, and you get that, that kind of buy-in from them as well as, you know, it's kind of a little funny that, it, that it's so structured and, and they're just saying the same thing over and over and over again.
3: I'd like, like to speak to the part that Joni read, Rosalind. How did she get to where she was in order to make her own decisions? Because that was not going to happen at the court. At the court when Duke Senior was usurped by his brother Frederick, Frederick began to tell Rosalind how to live her love life, her married life, and what she was going to do. But Rosalind decides, I don't like that. I want it to be as I like it, the name of the play, (laughs) as you like it. So what does Rosalind do? She packs up and she leaves. She becomes a refugee. And this, if you read the whole play, which is beautiful, is all about refugees in the forest of Arden who, rather than stay under an authoritarian usurper, Frederick, one by one, two by two, and three by three, they desert the court. And uh, uh, I'm not going to give the end. I don't want to be a spoiler, but uh, Duke <laughs> Frederick realizes that, hmm, maybe I've done something wrong here. And well, you know, Shakespeare wrote long,
1: long before the founding fathers of the United States, and, and wrote their their treaties, their, their political tracts, and and it's interesting that he chooses um, to send his characters to Arden, where, as opposed to the court, the rules suddenly change because there's a sense of freedom. Everybody suddenly feels free. It's the, and that to me is the equivalent of what's going to happen uh, in 1776 when Americans break away from from the British. So to to speak to your point, Ray, that Shakespeare speaks to uh, period after period, era after epic after epic, and um, he's got something to say from the time that he, first presented his plays right up to the present.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's Spotlight on Local Voices in Rhode Island from Roadie Radio. If you have an idea for an episode, email us at roadieradionline at gmail.com or via the Contact Us page on our website, roadieradio.com. Brody Radio is a project of the Office of Library and Information Services and is made possible by a grant from the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities. Thanks for listening!